What did you have for breakfast this morning? That is an excellent, oh, leftover Indian food, <laughs> as one does when they live in an RV. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect Indian food then. Yeah, neither did my neighbors. Hi, I'm Tim. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast celebrating the resiliency of the human spirit through conversations with extraordinary people. We talk about all aspects of life here, imposter syndrome, breaking free from the script, living with intention, boundaries with family, what it means to be vulnerable, and the fact that we're all really just making this up as we go along. We're not perfect. We're not alone. We're only human. Today, I'm joined by Shannon Downey. She's a daughter, sister, renowned cross-stitcher, and full-time arts activist, bringing the change, as you like to put it, with your website, Badass Cross-Stitch, which is an amazing name for a website, by the way. Um, so June 2020, you give up your job, your apartment, sell everything, get an RV, and then start traveling the U.S. as what you say, uh, what you call a full-time nomadic craftivist. I'm really curious, what was the inspiration for such a sudden life shift? Um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't super sudden. I'd been planning it for a year. Um, okay. And I mean, I was taking this money and power course with a dominatrix <laughs> as all good stories start. And, uh, we did this like random activity, um, where it was like, if nothing was in your way, you know, what would you be doing? And I, I was very confidently living a life that I loved. Um, but as I did this exercise, I was, you know, I'd been thinking about sort of what's next. And um, I did this exercise and I was like, well, travel, love travel. I love being outside. I lo and I started to list all these things. And I was like, I should totally buy an RV and move into it. And so it sort of just came from that. Um, I had rented an RV for two days or three days, like a year before. And, uh, I spent a weekend and I was like, I could totally live like this. This would be amazing. And um, so two years later, I bought one and moved into it. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, it, it'd been sort of building up to this. I, you know, folks had been asking me to sort of come to wherever they were and like lead my workshops and like create some art interventions and speak and do all this stuff. And I kept having to say no to most of them because I had a full-time job a part-time job and you know a million other things um so I was doing what I could in all of my free time um and then you know I was like wait I think I could do this for real like what if I made the space to spend my entire life doing this or at least you know right now and uh so I, I took the leap and it's working out even in a That's... freaking pandemic <laughs> yeah you're probably best suited for the pandemic now you know, it's interesting. I am best suited in lots of ways. Like I can travel like really confidently. I, I've seen a lot of the country, but I haven't seen any people. <laughs> and that's, that's all good. And I've been staying in people's driveways. So I can still like sort of meet them, you know, strangers that I've, I've known on the internet. Now I'm hanging out in their driveways, waving at them from six feet away. Um, 
but in another way, I'm not because everything has gone online. And so I've had to do a lot of negotiating around um, how to be able to access online uh, in a very substantive way when you can't just like, you know, get a Comcast Wi-Fi account and be connected all the time. Yeah, I, I imagine finding Wi-Fi on the road. Like, it's so funny. We take this all for granted. Like, to me, internet's like a utility now. We take it for granted. But I mean, you hop in an RV and what do you even do? Is it um, your phone hotspot or can you buy like a something to put on the RV itself? Or It's all of the above. I have uh, seven different systems. Um, seven different systems. <laughs> yeah. You know, you burn through um, your hotspot st- stuff in, in minutes with oh. Zooms. Um, and so I have like a jetpack backup and I have a sky mobile thing and I have a booster on my roof. And I mean, it is, it is a game of Tetris every day to make sure that I have access in the ways that I need. You mentioned earlier that you took that class to sort of like think about what was next and like kind of examine your life. What inspired you to take that class? Oh, a friend of mine just forced me to do it. <laughs> she just was like, <laughs> yeah, she was like, you have to do this. And I was like, I don't think this really sounds like me. And she's like, I'm paying for it. You're taking it. And I, I was like, uh, she's like, you could be living this life that you want to live. And this, you just need a kick in the ass. And I was like, well, all right. If you're paying for it, <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> I actually quit the class too. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> it, was, it was not a class for me, let me tell you. Um, but I got, you know, that great activity out of it. And now I'm here. So I don't regret it. I was going to say, it seems like you still, something got through to you from the class or you, you found something in it. Always. There's always something in everything, right? Did your friend feel like you needed that class or was she just taking it and was like, I need a friend to come with me? No, she wasn't taking it. Um she felt like I was one step away from being liberated around money um, to, to do, like do what I wanted to do. And that like, I just had to like get better at, you know, I'm an amazing asker for other people. I can raise millions. <laughs> That's what I was doing before, um, before this. But when it comes to me, I'm like, um, maybe uh, if you had like a dollar, um, I could make you this amazing art piece. And, you know, like it, I really had to go through a transformation on that front, like applying all of the things that I do in my life to myself um, and the value that I'm creating in the world. And so she was like, take this. And really, it was just her telling me to take it that sort of got me through it. I was like, actually, you're right. This is silly. <laughs> you found clarity it sounds like it did yeah i mean i still deal with that shit every day where you're just like oh, oh god what, am i pricing this at that oh okay and then you know they sell out and i'm like oh, good reminder <laughs> it's always a good reminder if they sell out maybe yeah, you're pricing exactly. them too low <laughs> i know well so there's that constant lesson <laughs> right <laughs> yeah it's like like you said it's a never-ending battle it's like you can never win with pricing you, it's you know capitalism. Mm, true. <laughs> it's a real, it's a real bugger. <laughs> what was the clarity you found from that class or or afterward? Like, did you? Well, I'm I'm curious. Like, what was sort of that moment or that feeling? 
I think it was just, I was in this class with, I mean, it might have been 60 other women. And I was watching them all struggle in very, like everybody was struggling in very different ways, but it was all around um, feeling empowered about the value that they're bringing to this world and like how to, um, you know, be able to, to live the life that you want to live while, you know, doing that thing. But I was watching it and I was like, oh my God, this is patriarchy. This is capitalism. This is our training. Like that is the only thing holding us back is these like, you know, these ridiculous and awful systems of oppression that have trained us to be less than and trained us to ask for less than expect less than and to value the work that we do differently than we would do other people's work or, um, you know, traditional work. I'm using air quotes. Um, and when, once I saw it on that spectrum, that scale, you know, I'm watching 60 women who are saying the, like the same things. I realized what it was like. I always knew, but like, it was just a real deep level of just like, oh no, you don't get to win patriarchy and capitalism. I can outsmart you. I'm working on, you know, demolishing these systems, but here I am keeping that internal dialogue and that internal struggle. And it was real, a real moment of clarity just around, um, oh no, that it's actually not about me not being worthy or me not having, um, not producing really important things in the world is just that I've been trained to expect and ask for less and be uncomfortable with it. And so, um, that was a moment where I was like, I'm not going to do that anymore. And for the most part it works. <laughs> and then I have a day where I have to price something and I'm like, <laughs> and then, you know, I call somebody up and I'm like, talk me down. <laughs> and they're like, you charge too little. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and it just becomes us yelling at each other until I do the thing. It's great. <laughs> That's good to have a support network like that, like resources you can call upon. Oh, it absolutely is vital. Do you often find yourself like calling others when it comes to pricing or things like that, just for like a quick sanity check? Absolutely. Um, I have I have people that I call for all of my needs. <laughs> like the directory. Ooh, I, totally. I'm like, oh, I need a pep talk. Hold on, let me call this person. Oh, I need to be yelled at about money. Hold on, let me call this person. <laughs> right? Like, and, and it's like, what is the vibe I need today? And what is the messaging? And what is the struggle I'm having? And that's who I call. And I'm like, yo, just I just need like ten minutes of like, remind me I'm a good human. Ready, go. <laughs> and and I do the same for for all of them. So we've really worked it out. Oh, that's fantastic. I feel like we all need that like Rolodex and in the morning we figure out who we need to help us get started for the day. Absolutely. I have a brain trust and I would die without them. (laughs) A brain trust. I like that. Yeah. Like a little board of directors of my life. I'm like, hi. Well, I mean, I I called them in and and we had like monthly meetings when um the year leading up to me actually doing this um and they they were supporting my planning and helping me think through things and how to fundraise around some of it and how i can make this sustainable on the road and yeah it was pretty awesome wow monthly meetings to help you sort of plan the next chapter of your life what an amazing gift from them aren't they amazing they're amazing humans yeah yeah i mean that's like they really care about you and, and what you're doing and just to, to take the time and the mental capacity and all that to devote. That's so amazing. 
Yeah, I have good good people. <laughs> yeah, you chose them well. <laughs> oh, sorry. Maggie. See, I also live in an RV with a dog. <laughs> these, Hi, Maggie. These, right? These are the things we can't control. Maggie, come here. I was like, I was debating, like, do I leave the door open or not? But it's so nice. I needed to. And I was like, but if a dog walks by, it's all over. (laughs) (laughs) Does she like to say hi to the dogs? She really does. Hold on. I really need to stop this or she's (laughs) just going to keep going. No worries. Maggie, you're being rude. Come here. Drink some water and chill out. All right. We're back. (laughs) (laughs) This commercial break brought to you by Maggie. (laughs) Right? Maggie Downey. So you found that clarity, um, the class, and then through your kind of brain trust helping you plan all this. I'm curious, once you got on the road, because you've been on the road, I mean, we're in January of 2021 now, so it's like seven months, six, seven months. Did you find, I'm curious, like what, was there anything you found once you got on the road in the past seven months, like additional clarity that might have crept up? Yeah, the first thing I learned was I don't know shit about living in an RV. No matter how much research you do, <laughs> once you get in this thing, it's a whole different story. Which is only fair because <laughs> you've never lived in one. So how could we expect you to know how? Exactly. So I was grateful for the pandemic only in that sense because I had lined up um, over 100 events and had a schedule and a pace that was absurd in hindsight, like absolutely absurd. I can't believe that I thought I was going to pull that shit off. And so all of that got canceled because of the pandemic, which was also part of the whole like, oh, no, that was all of my money. You know, that was all of, you know, the planning money. But thank God that that didn't happen because I one I would have never been able to do it and and two it took me three months to just figure out how to exist in this thing and like move and travel and empty tanks without causing a scene which definitely was a, a scene um, <laughs> and so at first it was just like I had to, I had to learn to pace my learning which I've never had to do before. Like, if I want to learn something, I learn it. Um, And this was too much to learn at the pace that I'm used to. I'm just like, oh, I'll just figure it all out. There were things where I I literally drove around without music for like a thousand miles of my travels because I didn't, I couldn't figure out the stereo yet. (laughs) And I was like, you know what? That's the least important thing that I need to learn. And I don't have brain space for that right now. And so I didn't use my microwave, which is ridiculous, but I didn't use my microwave for three months because I was like, I'm not dealing with that. What if it doesn't work? Because a lot of things didn't work. <laughs> like, my first five days was hell. Absolute hell. I was literally like, I'm going to drive this into the lake and just go home. I'll just collect insurance or some shit. Like, I don't, I can't do this. So... There was like the the tangible stuff, right? And now that I have figured this out and I'm doing pretty damn well, I still have not plugged into um, City Water yet. That is like a a this month challenge to myself to learn. (laughs) So I'll let you know how that goes. I think it's one of my last big learning hurdles. And it's probably going to take me five minutes. But it's just one of those things where like if it goes wrong, 
I cannot spend a week trying to figure out how to undo what I've done <laughs> with without water. <laughs> so it's a little terrifying to me. But I pace my learning. Um, in terms of like my work and like what I set out to do, I've had to pivot a million different ways. Um, but I, I'm a good pivoter. Uh, so I, I feel like that's a little more natural to me than this like forced slow learning. Um, that is not natural to me, but it's a good lesson. Um, but the pivots have been around like I, I wasn't doing anything in person. Right. And that was the entire point of this um, was bringing yeah. communities together. <laughs> and I'm that's like, rough. damn. <laughs> um, but I've I've been able to make it work via Zoom. Um, and I've built a lot of community and a lot of like community that gets together regularly. Um, and that's been great. I've figured out how to teach all my workshops online, which I, I thought would be really impossible, um, to teach embroidery this way, especially like in an RV with no extra stuff. Like I can't build a studio. Yeah. Um, but I figured it out. Uh, and then I decided I needed like a more meaningful thing. Um, and so I came up with the idea of a craftivist in residence program because the country doesn't have one. We have a lot of artists in residence programs, but there's nothing specifically for art activists or craftivists in particular. Um, so I put together a pitch and I put it out there and I was like, who wants to do this? Like, I, I want to build this for you and I want you to be like a museum, a higher ed, a nonprofit institution, whatever. Like, let's. Let's figure this out. Um, and the Fuller Craft Museum in Massachusetts, like, signed on right away. And so we've been building the country's first craftivist in residence program. Um, and we've got, I've got two more that I've almost signed contracts with. Therefore, then I can talk about them publicly. But my goal is five um, before the end of this, this year. Um, so we've got three that I think are, like, good to go. I'd like to create a national cohort. Um and really make some space for the evolution and development and um, attention of craftivism in the country. That's fantastic. Three out of five is definitely on your way to the goal then. Right. Plus, you know, you, as long as you get one set up and everybody sees it's like working, that's when the rest of them will show up. It's cool. Yeah. It's always that first one. <laughs> yeah. Proof of concept. I get it. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask, if you're driving a thousand miles with no radio, what do you, what's going through your mind? I don't, I feel like it would feel like 5,000 miles because I'd be listening to my own thoughts for so long. It wasn't so bad. I, um, you know, I like to think, so it gave me a lot of that. It, it eventually became a little bit of a meditation because you run out of stuff to think about and then you're just observing um, and I'm going through places I've never been before and I'm seeing things I haven't seen. So there's a lot of opportunity to observe. Um, plus driving this thing, um, has moments where it's like real terrifying. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, yeah, it's, um, you're driving a big box down a highway and, um, any sort of wind is <laughs> really problematic. Um, and I, I've, have come through some real windy spots. And so there's a bit of like white knuckling that happens at times. And I feel like, um, it's very important because this is everything I own. It is my home and my vehicle that 
I am a wildly observant and defensive driver. <laughs> and so, and it makes you drive slower than you ever would. It makes you drive differently than, you know, I would bop around Chicago in my tiny car, like, like I was in America, you know, like the speedway or some shit. This, I can't go over 65, you know, so it, it really forces you to slow down, um, which forces your thinking to slow down and just sort of all of it. I mean, I'm glad I have my stereo fixed now or figured out, you know, because having some tunes to sing to is very helpful. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. <laughs> but I wasn't, I wasn't ready to deal with that learning yet. It seems so small in the grand scheme of things. I I like. I like that idea of um, pacing out the learning. I never thought about that, that you could have so much to learn for this next chapter that you have to sort of pace it out like that. Do you, it, it made me think about, did you foresee this trip like challenging you in new ways that you hadn't been challenged before? Or was that just a side effect of the fact that you're doing something new? I definitely knew it would, you know, surprises would arise and, you know, this was a whole different lifestyle um, and that that comes with a lot of transition and change and learning, um, you know, but I, I felt a little primed for it. I've, I spent eight months backpacking around the world and that was really hard, <laughs> you know, like I had a backpack and I didn't speak a lot of the languages currency constantly changed i mean like everything was so challenging that all you could do was be present in those challenges there was no room for anything other than being totally present all the time um this gives me a little more latitude than than that did um but this was a whole whole different can of worms um you know i was responsible for my body you know, when I was backpacking, that was it. Um, this is like, I am, I am a plumber. I'm an electrician. I'm a mechanic. Right? Like I'm developing all these skill sets that I had like, you know, some skills with, but I've never had to replace. Uh, um, this is good. I can totally remember what it, this is how I was trying to remember it. Flux capacitor was how I was remembering that it was the capacitor and my air conditioner. <laughs> I was like, I have to replace my flux capacitor. And so I go to the store and I'm like, I need a flux capacitor. <laughs> because it was like the only way I could remember it. And the dude looked at me and was like, what, like do I look like Michael J. Fox? <laughs> and I was like, oh, good one. I totally meant capacitor. That was how I was remembering it. And he's like, that's great. <laughs> you know, so it's 100 degrees. I'm on my roof replacing my capacitor and my air conditioner because it stopped working. Like, these are challenges that, um, yeah, this is not what I saw for myself. <laughs> I bought a brand new RV so that I wouldn't have these problems. <laughs> I was like, well, I guess that's what I get. <laughs> Do you ever feel like, I'm just thinking you're on the top, you're on the roof of your RV, 100 degrees, you got to change the capacitor. Not at all what you expected. But do you ever feel like those are the moments where like you're the most alive? I mean, I definitely felt alive when I was like, oh, I hope I don't electrocute myself. <laughs> you know, Like, I love adventure and I love story. Like, I 
love a good story. And I know that 90% of my life turns into a good story eventually, right? Like it might not be a good story in the moment, but eventually it becomes either funny or a good story. And that, that span of time is very short with me. I could really laugh about something quite quickly after. So those moments are the moments where I'm like, oh, it's so fucking hot. This is not what I wanted to be doing. You know, and I'm like up there and I'm all aggro. And then I like calm myself down. I'm like, oh, let me take a picture. This is a good story though. <laughs> you know, and you just think about like, you know, this is a moment and this is, this is something to honor because who saw this coming? Who saw this in my life trajectory? But here I am living in an RV. At that point, I was also parked in my parents' driveway, which was great because I'm like, I'm living in an RV parked in my parents' driveway on the roof replacing a capacitor. Does it get better than this? I don't think so. I don't know. Indeed, a good story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of um, throughout your life, your your website says you've lived a million lives so far and they've all made you or brought you to where you are right now. What are the million lives you've lived? Oh, man. I, I, so many. I mean, like I've done and lived so many places. Um, I just I feel like I'm constantly chasing like a new adventure, a new learning experience, growth. And then the minute that I feel like I've learned everything I can learn I'm like cool I need to go now um, and sometimes that's really short sometimes that's really long and it's probably arrogant to believe that I've learned everything I can learn but like once I start to get bored in something I'm like ah, I feel like my learning curve has slowed down so much that I must go so I mean I've done everything from I was the first e-commerce manager at Spalding Sports I I was 22 I had no business. They make the uh, basketballs, right? Mm-hmm. I worked in the golf ball division or the golf division. So uh, top flight. And uh, I was simultaneously working as a domestic violence sexual assault advocate for the YWCA. I have taught golf because, you know, obviously I'm a golfer. Um, I, <laughs> I've been a, a classroom teacher. I taught first grade, which was not for me. I taught middle school, which was totally for me. I taught college. I've traveled the world. I've lived in Spain. I've really done some stuff. I was I started a company when I was 28 and ran it for 10 years. It was an experiential and digital marketing company, uh, which is how we go back. And uh, yeah, I've just really tried to like keep doing. Most recently, I was the director of development for Asian Americans Advancing Justice, right before I went off on this journey. So, you know, I like to do stuff. <laughs> yeah, I like this idea of you can kind of sense when you've learned all you can from that chapter and you're ready for the next one. So you kind of naturally start to seek the next thing. I think that's that's just cool because then you're 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 like naturally trying to make sure you're constantly learning and growing. It's like this nice self-monitoring system you have in place. It is. And I learned, too, over the course of time um, to be really upfront with people about that. Um, because I never want to put, like, an organization or a client in a position where I'm like, cool, you probably thought you had me for 10 years, but what? No. I mean, this last position 
um, when I ended up taking it, I was like three years. Like that's, that's really what you can plan on for me. And here's what I'm going to do in that three years. And here's how I'm going to get you set up. And then I will hire my replacement and they will be better than me. And then you won't feel sad because I will have done all the things that I said I was going to do and get it all set up. And because I see a real opportunity here to sort of fix this <laughs> and, you know, get y'all set up for success. Uh, and then when it gets to the part where you just have to execute, that's where I want to go because that's not fun for me. Uh, and that's that's exactly what I did. I was there four years and, you know, hired my replacement. She was better than me. It was great. That's fascinating to me that that you would upfront just be like, this is this is as long as I think I'll be able to be with you and here's what I'm going to offer. I mean, it's great. Like that's how the transparency and honesty, I wish we all were like that. You know, like I feel like everyone's always unsaid and beating around the bush and like, let's just yeah. be upfront. Like, you know, your strengths, right? Like, you know, like mm-hmm. here's what I'm good at and I'm good at three years worth of this foundation I'll build for you. And let's agree upon that. That's fantastic. You know, when I ran my business, it was, it was really hard for me to lose people, um, as, but in particular to lose people uh, by surprise, right? Like to find out that these people that I loved and trusted and that were in this very small group of my business with me um, were like secretly interviewing elsewhere and, you know, would give me two weeks notice as like such a small business. You know what I mean? Like yeah. so much impact on your business when, when there's um transition like that. And it, it gutted me. And, and partly I was like, I'm not meant to have employees, which was a great learning experience as well. You know, um, I really like working like, like in the business, not on it. <laughs> like I want to be doing the work, not like, worrying about HR and thing and and I just I didn't know that until I started doing it and then you know had to learn that um and had to dial it back because I was like I yeah this is and and it's too much risk and so um like too much depending on people who in capitalism think of jobs a certain way and how you get jobs and how you transition from job to job and and what they mean to you um, and so I've just always been really like clear and transparent and just because for them and for me, like, I don't want to, I don't want to surprise anybody <laughs> just be like, surprise, figure it out, you know, especially when I'm, you know, we're doing such important work around immigration at a time when, you know, Trump is in power and it's like, no, nah, we have to have total transparency about um, just, I, I think we can. I think we can do better. And I think everybody does better when we're all like, oh, okay. You know, because if, if they had said, oh, no, we need somebody for 10 years, I'd be like, okay, well, then I, I can't be that person, you know, so I wouldn't have taken that position. I also think that's super unrealistic anyways these days. Yeah, I just, I love that. That's so, I, I'm taking that away from this conversation that we should, I should, but we all should be upfront about everything and just be transparent and move us all forward. I like that, that notion. Why, I, when I'm diving into your story, you, somewhere I read, you spent your 40th birthday at the Ulysses S. Grant house in Illinois. 
And my immediate question was, why? <laughs> Not judging. I'm just like, first, yeah, I didn't yeah. even know the house existed. Ooh, and then when I looked it up, there. yeah, I was like, what? It's in Galena, Illinois. And I'm mm-hmm. like, how did you end up in this house for your, obviously intentionally for your birthday? Uh, I wouldn't say intentionally. I Oh, that's um, even better then. <laughs> so uh, uh, a friend of my ex was like, I have this house in Galena. Galena, I don't know how to say it. Um, I, keep, I always say I it wrong. Either. Okay, great. Um, we're just going to say that magical place in Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> um and he was like, you should just take it and go away for your birthday weekend. And so I was like, all right, what? Did, I don't know what the hell is in Galena, but like, I just want to be outside. So we'll go do that. Um, and we, so we got there and I was like, cool, I want a kayak. And so let's go in town and like check out kayak rentals because um, I have a really great river. So it was like, this is going to be great. And then we were driving and it's a really cool town. Like it's one of those old timey sort of looks like a Western like Midwest, like Main Street um, with all the shops. And I was like, oh my God, I kind of love this. And then I was like, we need to, like, we have to go estate sale shopping. Like I have to go in all the antique stores because that's my geek. And then um, we drive by the Ulysses S. Grant house. And I was like, are you kidding me? That's where I want to go on my birthday (laughs) after kayaking. And my partner at the time was just like, are you fucking serious? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and so, you know, went and it was fascinating. I mean, what a great tour and just the history and and like all the things I learned, right? Like the hand-painted wallpaper. Whoa. Hand-painted wallpaper. Also, let's talk about old rugs. So wall-to-wall carpeting was all the rage and just starting up. And wall-to-wall carpeting meant they would bring in your carpeting in long strips and they would lay it down and then somebody would hand stitch the strips together. And then once a year, you would cut them, take them outside, clean them, bring them back in, and then some person had to go back in and re-hand sew all of these carpets together. Like, what? That is a 40th birthday, my friend. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So a great time. So much fun. <laughs> that is fun. It's funny, too, because I didn't even know, like I said, that, that Ulysses S. Grant had a house of any sort in Illinois. So I was like, what the? Dude, it's a mere three hours from Chicago. I highly recommend a weekend there. Yeah, it's on my mental list now. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> you mentioned estate sales. You go to an estate sale one time, you find this quilt from a woman named Rita, and then, from what I understand, you gather like people across the United States to help finish this quilt, and I think, did she pass away before you finished it, or she was passed away? She had passed away um, like a couple weeks before. That's why the estate sale was happening, because she had Oh, passed. okay. Gotcha. I didn't know if it was at some random estate sale. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was at hers. Um, yeah, you know, this sort of shit happens to me. I, <laughs> you go when you when you respect, like I profoundly respect the work of women artists, um, and particularly fiber art. And I believe that it has just been relegated to like handiwork and craft, and it is it's really been just diminished and looked down upon and I go to these estate sales and I most of the time it, the person has passed and 
I will find unfinished projects that they were like working on and then put down and didn't come back to them. And I can't see those and not like finish them. I just can't. Mind you, my experience prior to this quilt was like, you know, 20 minute pieces, right? Like I'm just finishing a cross stitch for you <laughs> and it's not anything I want. I'm just finishing it in honor of you. I'm going to frame it, bring it to Goodwill. Somebody's going to love all over it. This one, however, was a big box full of this massive embroidery and quilting project that was all prepared but had not been started. And I was like, no, I can't leave this here. And I had just bought one of her completed pieces off the wall and I was in love with it and I was obsessed with her stitching because she's so talented and I was like, oh God, now I have to finish this for her. And I was like, I don't even quilt shit. <laughs> right? Like I don't even have this skill set. So I took it home and then I opened it and started going through it and I was like, no way. Like this would take the rest of my life. But I was like, I bet other people will help me. And it was all in pieces, right? And so I could piecemeal out all of the embroidery work, which, you know, really was thousands of hours worth. Um, <clears throat> so I went on Instagram and I was like, hey, y'all, here's what just happened. Does anybody want to help me? And within 24 hours, I had over a thousand volunteers. It was whoa, bananas. And so 150 people worked on this this quilt. I mailed out 100 um, pieces across the country and folks stitched them and sent them back to me and then the rest were all Chicago stitchers and quilters who got together and said we're finishing this and uh, the quilt's spectacular um, and it went up at the National Quilt Museum this March uh, and probably like 40 of us who worked on it from across the country and their families like flew into Paducah, Kentucky and we took over Paducah for the weekend. <laughs> we all got matching tattoos. <laughs> it was it was amazing. Uh, and now the quilt is with me and I'm taking it. I'm trying to take it to everybody who worked on it um, so that they can show it off in their communities and they can see it in person if they weren't able to make it to Paducah. And so it's currently on display at the Neil Cochran House Museum here in Austin. And it'll be, I'm actually going to be speaking there Thursday night um, about the story and on the lawn. How cool is this? They have this amazing front lawn. And so I'm going to be on their front porch and then, like, the people get to hang out in the lawn, and there's going to be free bourbon drinks. So, sounds like the best Thursday night in a <laughs> pandemic one can have in Austin. I think it does. <laughs> there is something so beautiful about you, like, being drawn to that unfinished quilt, but then everybody coming together to help. I mean, obviously, you know, she's she's no longer with us, and she'll never know about this. But everyone to come together and, and do that. I, I just think it's so beautiful because this time, especially, you know, so many things divide all of us here on earth that you did that and you all did that to bring you together. That's just beautiful. Yeah, it was really special. Um, and it really it was one of those actions where it was it was really about just honoring all of the sort of women makers who's who's artistry um has largely just sort of been you know sold in a state sale for five bucks after you die right like and so there was something you know 
much bigger and more powerful to it um, than even just what happened in the making of this one quilt, right? Like it, it was just this sort of spiritual experience that, that I think a lot of us had around, um, you know, connecting with, with history and, and with ancestors. And um, I think the coolest part of the whole thing was how it made folks who are not artisans, who are not makers, um, who are the recipients of these things, right? Like, oh, my grandma made me this quilt when I was a baby. Yeah. I mean, it made them rethink these art objects in their lives. And I was getting thousands of stories of folks who were like, oh, I just I just had to show you this quilt that my grandma made me. And like, I've had it on my chair forever now. I haven't given it a second thought and, and I've been spending time with it. And I mean, it's just, it was thousands of stories. Um, and, and that is what like mattered to me, right. was that folks were reconsidering the love and craftsmanship and artistry and work that went into these things for them by their ancestors that they sort of, you know, might've blown off because they were young or because it was a blanket and they didn't think twice about it. Um, but to know how meaningful, it is um, to so many of us who are the makers of these things um, to understand that connection really reframed it for them. And so that was really uh, my favorite part of the whole thing. I love that even more. I, I just, I love this idea that she, I mean, I haven't, I don't know what her intentions for that quilt were. Maybe it was just, you know, a quilt she was going to make. Maybe it was for a family member, but now it's in a museum. It's being it's touring the u.s and then it's also inspired countless people to like sort of pay more attention to the quilts that might be in their life and other sorts of art like that it's just you've created this like butterfly it's like a tidal wave that got created from i i I always think about this like the ability we each have to make an impact in the world like you simply picking that up and moving forward with this intention you created that tidal wave and it's i'm just in awe it's beautiful Oh, thanks. Yeah, that, thank you I for mean, doing that's it. like I don't know. I feel like that's why I exist. Is like to to do and also to demonstrate how simple it can be to change the world. Right? Like it doesn't have to be epic. It can be epic. You can work up to epic, right? But like these these moments matter too. Like these these actions that connect people that create story that that reframe how people think about something like that all matters and so you know that's what i hope i'm contributing oh for sure so bouncing around in the rv from from place to place i imagine and just being on the road probably feels very like nomadic i mean you're you're in your home but you're always in a different place you're traveling between places do you ever feel like a sense of, or do you feel like you're on like a mission and you have like a goal or do you feel like it's more just like I'm going day to day, month to month and like, we'll see where this chapter takes me. It's definitely the latter now. Um, when I planned it, it was the former. <laughs> I was on a mission. I had goals. There was a tour. There was a start date. There was sort of an anticipated end. You know, it was going to be mm-hmm. a year. And, um, and then the pandemic threw all that to shit. And I was like, okay, well, my only option here is to roll with it. And so now I have no idea what's happening past February 28th. I don't have a clue. I'm, 
I've got it planned out through February 28th. I'm going to be here in Austin. I'm hanging out. I've got lots of lots of things lined up. I've got a solo show and all sorts of fun stuff. Um, but I haven't a freaking clue what's next. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know. Um, and a lot of that is a lot of that's pandemic. A lot of it's just sort of the collapse of our democracy. A lot of it is um, just not feeling like anybody's ready to plan more than a month out um, and not having an understanding of where we're going to be with vaccines. And, you know, I know I'm really the only the only thing driving me in terms of like moving around right now is the weather. So like when Austin starts to get real hot, I know I won't be here, <laughs> right? Like I'm, I'm chasing 70. So, <laughs> you know, that's sort of the only thing that's, that's really happening. I'm also just like letting people tell me where to go, which is kind of fun. I'm like, who wants to plan some stuff? I'll, I'll show up. Like, let's plan some stuff. Give me a reason to be somewhere and I will be there. And so there's you know, there's some of that going on and who knows, man. <laughs> right. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, it's good because everybody's in that situation right now. Um, so it doesn't feel like, like I'm counterculture, right? Like yeah. I'm just like, I'm in, I'm in the mainstream culture. I'm just doing it in an RV. You know what I mean? Like we're all who knows right now. Um, but I think that's kind of exciting. I love the who knows. Like I, that's very exciting to me and not necessarily knowing like what's going to happen six, 12, whatever months or years from now. Yeah. So yeah, I, I feel deeply sorry for our control freak friends though, <laughs> like <laughs> for our people who really value like, like stability and ritual like i really deeply feel feel for them right now because this is so far outside of that um but i i am i'm also really grateful that that's that's not how i roll so like it it feels okay to me yeah you you strike me as the type of person that will be just fine rolling with it <laughs> yes literally as you've demonstrated <laughs> <laughs> Have have you, we talked a little bit about sort of when you got on the road, these obstacles or challenges you ran into, I mean, just the logistics of being on the road. But I, I think about like when I've been backpacking or camping before and just spent time in nature, um, I love nature, but you've been on the road now and somewhat in nature for quite some time. Have you felt like you've sort of been a little bit introspective and, and learned things about yourself that you might not have had you not kind of been in this more, I'm outside, I'm on the road, I'm not tied down to a physical building scenario? Yeah, I think what it does is it, moments like this sort of heighten, I, I think for me at least, like they they heighten your positive qualities and they also heighten your negative qualities right and so and sometimes they're both the same it's just different ways that those things manifest and you're like oh this is a really positive coping mechanism and you're like this is not hmm <laughs> um and so i think it's been a lot of that is like 
it's been really nice to um, reaffirm that I'm like good with my own company. Like I'm that while I love people and I, I love having a partner, like I do not require that, that I, I can, I can do things on my own. I can live the life that I want to live, like, and, and be really happy in it and not feel lonely. Um, which I wasn't sure that that would be the case. Um, you know, in Chicago, trapped in an apartment, you know, in shitty March weather, you know, trying to adjust to a pandemic and not being able to go outside, not being able to, you know, literally being afraid of people. Um, I was like, man, it really would be cool to have another person in this apartment right now. <laughs> you know, and you just like, I'm really doing this solo. Um, and so that it scared me to then, um, be like, oh, now I'm going to like hit the road. And you know, what is that going to, how is that going to manifest? Um, and, and so it's been really, it's been great for me and, and really like reaffirming that, um, yeah, I'm like, I'm pretty good company, <laughs> like for myself, you know, and like, I, I can do like, I'm a motivated person and like, I can still like, I still do the things, you know, even when you have this sort of like air quotes, total freedom, right? Like where you set your own schedule, right? Things that I've always, like I've had in the past where you make your own work schedule and whatever, like, um, this is different because there's like nothing, right? Like there's not even a plan or a vision. It's not like I'm, and so, um, recognizing that I am, I am self-motivated and I am um, capable of setting realistic paces and, and doing the work and starting things, but also continuing my fitness routine, even though it would be so easy to scrap that because, <laughs> right, like it's much harder now. Um, you know, so these, these things that you're sort of taking in about yourself because they are heightened, I think is... Um, is a really valuable component to, to this adventure. I think you had a picture on Instagram where you had your yoga mat in front of your RV and a bird pooped on it. Uh-huh. Yeah. I've had some real doozies. <laughs> I, they're like my trainer. So I still work out with my Chicago trainer um, every morning. And I was like, you know, lifting. I was like on the ground lifting or bench pressing or whatever. And, um, this dog comes running over and jumps on me. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my God. And so my trainer had recorded the session and went back and took like a screenshot of me being like attacked <laughs> by this dog while doing like whatever I was doing. I don't I'm so good at working out. I don't even know what anything's called. I'm like, oh yeah, I could do that. <laughs> and then, yeah, bird shit on me the other day. It's, you know, I was, I was working out in the rain the other day because you have to work out outside. And so I am, you know, I am at the mother nature's, uh, mercy. Has that, has that been a shift? Like, um, yes. yeah. Would you have <laughs> ever found yourself working out in the rain? Had you not been in 
this scenario? Hell no. no. Conditions must be perfect for me to work out, right? That's how much <laughs> I hate working out. I'm like, oh, it looks a little cloudy today. I definitely can't work out. That's unfortunate. <laughs> like, that's not that's not real anymore. I, I think that's actually been the hardest adjustment for me is um, how much weather planning I have to do. Um, because if it's going to rain for a week, like, what is my grocery plan? What is my, like, getting out of the rig plan? I'm literally, like, looking at radar trying to figure out, like, oh, they, there might be a break here. It's also deafening when it rains really loud in this rig. So I have to mentally prepare for a day when I'm trapped in this rig and it is just loud all day. Like, you don't get a break. Um the humidity, right? That's gross, right? It's just like, it really is, yeah. uh, like, I am not in control of my HVAC life anymore. And that, um, that I think has been the hardest adjustment, um, which is why I keep picking places where the weather's good. Because if I only have to deal with that, like, once a week, cool, I got this. It's, you know, I was in Boston and it rained for like a solid week and I thought it was going to lose my mind. And so I was like, I should drive somewhere else. That is the glory of this, right? Like I can just drive out of this weather. <laughs> so sometimes that's what it takes is you just drive away. <laughs> yeah. I like that. You, you control what you were able to about the situation. You can't control the weather, but you can find different weather. I can drive the hell out of there though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shannon, thank you so much for for chatting um, from your beautifully wallpapered RV. Uh, <laughs> but thank you. I've really enjoyed our conversation. And I just I love I'm taking away from this conversation just your intention here and how you are, you know, just challenging yourself and, and being intentional and also the whole read it quilt thing. It's just amazing. So you're, you're so inspirational. It's a long way of saying thank you. Uh, you're very sweet. I, I'm so glad that we could talk. This was delightful. Thanks for listening to We're Only Human. Before you go, I would love to know what you had for breakfast this morning. Just send me an email, tim at we'reonlyhumanpodcast.com, and let me know what you had for breakfast this morning. Thanks.